I had the opportunity to talk with FDA senior executive leader, Dr. David Gortler, a pharmacologist, pharmacist, research scientist, and former member of the FDA senior executive leadership team who served as the senior advisor to the FDA commissioner. He was fired the day Biden was inaugurated. He was on the board while Pfizer shots were being developed and they would not release the information they held about the efficacy and dangers of the shot, even to him. What he has to say about pharma companies, the FDA process, and the breakdown of our drug safety regime and manufacturing problems is incredible. I read a little bit about your history and your job at the FDA. What Tell, tell us what you did exactly. What, what were you looking at? I had two, two different tours of duty at the FDA. Um, I first worked there when I was teaching at Yale. I gave an invited presentation there, and they invited me to come on as a career employee. And so I worked as a medical officer, um, also referred to as a senior medical analyst, where I was personally in charge of reviewing new drug applications. Uh, I ran a multidisciplinary team, chemistry, uh, pharmacokinetics, pharmacology, and then I was, as the medical officer, I was given the final authority to make a, the recommendation, to give a final recommendation for approval or not approval of new drugs, new labeling indications. And I was the primary individual responsible for doing both safety and efficacy reviews. I then left the agency and came back in 2019. At that point, I was working with the, the commissioner I served as his senior advisor, primarily on drug safety and FDA science policy. Did you have a chance to look at what was going on with both Moderna, Pfizer, and some of the other vaccines related to COVID-19? So I was there at the time that these were submitted, and I wanted to utilize my skills as someone who'd worked in drug safety for about two decades. And so one of the first things I'd asked to do was is to assist the commissioner in whatever he needs. And that would entail reviewing some of the data because the commissioner is the one who would ultimately sign off on this approval, not me, but him. And although I asked to review those data, I was refused the opportunity to do so despite my multiple requests. So you didn't really get a chance to see the days of the data that was submitted then? No, the, the acting director of CEDAR and the director of CBER both refused my formal requests. In fact, when I made those requests, they thought that I would have had a conflict of interest. And so even though I'd already been put through a, an ethics review before I was even taken on uh, to assist the commissioner, they put me through an additional three ethics reviews. We have people in the audience who are not familiar with the FDA acronyms, so the CEDAR and CBER acronyms. Could you describe what those are to the audience? Well, the Center for Drug Evaluation at the time was being run by um, a, Forzer, a former Pfizer executive, and uh, CBER was being, uh, and so it stands for the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, and CBER, CBER is the same thing except the biologics. Mm -hmm. And they both work together uh, to some degree. Um, there's, there, there is a little bit of overlap, um, but my requests to both of those people through formal channels were uh, declined. And, and that's an interesting thing, I think, from the beginning of the development of these so-called vaccines, 
is what exactly are they? And I think uh, most people in the audience are probably aware that the whole definition of vaccine changed in 2020. And, uh, you know, how does this get reviewed and how does this get classified? Although they're labeled as vaccines because they have an immunologic component, they are in fact gene therapy. They came out of a gene therapy program. They have your cells produce a product. And so by definition, they are gene therapy. And how would that change the regulation and the process of review at the FDA if these were gene therapy versus vaccine? Well, it would be the first time that a gene therapy had been authorized and given to such a large population. And I think the American public would want more long-term safety and efficacy data uh, before they, they would want to administer it, obviously. At this point, somewhere over 13 billion doses of the vaccines have been given worldwide. I mean, that's concerning, especially when we have as little data as we do. These vaccines were approved in warp speed time uh, without a lot of the safety measures. And that's interesting, too. We know through VAERS, uh, there's an indication of a lot of damage to people. We've got tens of thousands of deaths and, and over a million injuries from these shots just in the VAERS system. Talk to us about what should we be seeing versus what we are actually seeing. Well, what we should be seeing is an independent committee reviewing safety findings. There was, there was such a rush to get this out, but unfortunately, the process that was executed was not well thought through. Basically, all the safety measures were removed. Perhaps to give like a car analogy, you know, they removed the airbags, they removed the safety belts, they removed the power brakes, they removed the power steering, they removed some of the brake pads. They just removed every safety measure possible that that historically had been in place, one of the things that we have to realize is that everybody's going to react to these drugs a little bit differently. And they made no effort to look for a pattern to see if there was some predictor for safety. You want to have a predictable model for when something is injected or taken by a human being, you want a predictable model about how that's going to react in that person, correct? Right. In order to do that, you have to have standardized measures. You have to you have to test it in a diverse population, and every single tiny event that occurs has to be examined thoroughly. Mm-hmm. And because this was done in such a rush, there was an exuberant rush to get this vaccine out with um, under under Biden, and not just administer it, but mandate it to be administered, even though people had natural immunity. Um, that that ended up being very problematic. The other problem, uh, of course, with this shot is the production of the shot. And uh, what we've seen on that end, I believe, is a huge variation in terms of what's in each vial. Are you familiar with that situation? Sure. So up to this point, we've been talking about the clinical manifestations of giving mRNA technology, but the non-clinical manifestations are of equal importance. Another part of the FDA's role is to make sure that we have standardized products, uh, meaning that when you get a a vial of this shot, for example, each vial is essentially the same within a very limited amount of difference, correct? That's right. When they first came out, the FDA, and I think it was 1899, they were established through something known as the Pure Food and Drug Act. Because back then, 
people could write whatever labels they wanted on what the contents of a bottle was. And you had these roaming salesmen selling, you know, the so-called snake oil salesmen selling bottles of vitamin elixir. And there were these Puritan women who would never touch alcohol in New England. But of course, they had to have their elixir every day. And that elixir would contain undeclared amounts of opium and cocaine. And of course, alcohol, they were typically sold as a tincture, but people had no idea. And so the FDA was originally established to have, have a, a clarity in labeling to reflect exactly what the contents of the bottle are. And we, at this point, uh, in terms of what's going into these vials of, of so-called vaccine, we don't really know what quantity of mRNA is in any particular vial, correct? Unfortunately not. And that's a problem not only with the mRNA vaccines, but with all drugs in the United States. Back in the 1980s, everything was made mostly, it was mostly made in the United States. And to some degree, a little bit of it was made in Europe. The difference is now the vast majority of drugs are occurring, production is occurring overseas. The people who are producing these drugs overseas, we have no idea about their accreditation. FDA inspectors can't just go inspect them whenever they want to. They can only inspect them when they're given permission because they have to travel as a federal agent to a foreign country and they have to declare it in advance. So these companies are given advance warning. They're much bigger. Again, the accreditation of the people's skills cannot be verified. There's a massive language barrier. The facilities are huge compared to ours. And even worse, the FDA isn't double checking. When did, when did you leave the FDA? Well, I was dismissed by Biden on January 20th, immediately following his inauguration. Why were you top of his list on day one? I, I really couldn't say. You know, the public health crisis got worse starting in 2021, and the FDA didn't even appoint a commissioner for an entire year, and he never replaced uh, my position, which was that of a senior advisor to the commissioner, as far as I know on the area of drug safety. Well, David, thank you so much for talking to us about all of these issues. And thank you for your courage and standing up and sharing this information. It's really important. Of course, it's, it's a critical time in public health. There's a lot of information which um, uh, both consumers and attorneys need to know about this. And a lot of it is coming out, but there's quite a bit more. Yes. Yep. Well, thank you.